welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. In this episode, I talk to Tom Dunning, the mental health runner and co-author of the book Surviving the War with Myself. Tom was bullied relentlessly at school, but thankfully had the comfort of being able to return to a warm and loving home with stable parents and two older brothers, one of which, Will, was particularly supportive of Tom. Tragically, just as Tom was starting uni, Will died. As a coping mechanism, Tom threw himself into his studies. He soon found himself a girlfriend and eventually graduated from uni. Life seemed good until the bottled up emotions he hadn't allowed himself to work through came back to haunt him. Let's start at the beginning and let Tom tell us what life was like for him growing up. Um, yeah, so um, kind of uh, when I was a child, I was growing up, my life at home was was really good. Like my parents and my brothers were amazing. Um, but outside of the house, um, it was pretty bad. I would be chased to school. I'd have to be sprint to school. Um, I'd be beaten up quite often because I was a big guy, so I'd never really get away. Um, and then kind of from that, I got bullied pretty much every day up until... I pretty much left school really um and I mean some of the things that happened to me as a kid were were horrific like there was one instance where um I think I was in year five so I was about 10 yeah 10 years old um and a load of the kids that were bullying me lured me to like the furthest part of the sports field um thinking to play football so I was thought brilliant I've got friends fantastic and went to play football but it just turned out that I was being pushed around and um, when I finally got pushed on the floor, um, they just kind of encircled me and just shouted a load of stuff at me. It really gets to me to this day, really. Yeah, I can imagine. That's horrific. Uh, kids can be so cruel and I've got a three-year-old myself, a little boy, and I really worry about this kind of thing, you know, because there's no rhyme or reason to why children do it, really, is there? Or do you think that there was... Yeah. You said you mentioned that you were um, you were a bigger kid. Do you think that was why? You know, sometimes the gentle giants do get singled out, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I think that's what it was. Is that it was just I was an easy target, and I I reacted. I reacted um, whenever they gave me this, either when they beat me up or they shouted abuse at me. Was I I reacted, and that's exactly what they wanted. Um, yeah. So yeah, like I said, just gentle giant and looking after me and um, basically being uh, an easy target, really. Gosh, horrible for you. But you say you had a very loving family home. So even yeah. though this was going on at school, you you would come home and feel safe at home, yeah? Oh yeah, yeah. It was, the house is amazing. Yeah, my mum and dad are they're amazing. Um, still are they? always made sure I was happy you know we went out you know what I mean all normal happy family stuff um and my two brothers yeah me and me Will and Rob we um had they looked after me and we all looked after each other um Will was kind of like the, the guy who would always look after me um we met we were, but in the background of that we were always the two brothers to fall out as in we would you know shout at each other and but never really meant anything by it. You know, we still right. loved each other. Um, but it was the, um, 
but we, yeah, we were that we had that relationship where we would beat each other up, but in like a in a brotherly way, if that makes sense. Uh, and was he the oldest, and you the youngest, or what? Um, way did... No, I've got uh, like I said, got two brothers, so I'm the youngest, um, and Will um, was the middle child, as people say. Okay, right. So you were closer in age, maybe that's why you got on a bit better. Yeah, yeah. I, well, to be honest with you, I don't really know because <laughs> um, there's quite a, a bit of an age difference between me and my two brothers. Okay. Um, so there's two years between them, and then there's seven years between me and, and me and Will. Okay. So it it was uh, yeah, I was always been a baby, unfortunately. So that coming home was your sort of safe space, um, but then I I know um, that tragedy hit didn't it and Will was taken away from you? Yeah um, unfortunately yeah Will died um, in 2009 um, and at the time I was just coming out of school going into doing my degree um, in mechanical engineering and that was uh, probably the worst thing to well it is the worst thing to have happened to me obviously losing my brother but <laughs> at the same time being given that I'm on a doing my degree and I'm doing my apprenticeship um it was the wrong thing to not the wrong thing to do but it was my mind could preoccupy itself so in the five years of doing my engineering degree I just focused on that so I had this escape um yeah that that, that, was, that was my escape so I never really dealt with it um until about five years later where pretty much when I graduated that's when my mental health just kind of went, oh, by the way, this happened. We've got to sort this out. Right. So you did the typical kind of um, grin and bear it, get on with your work, throw yourself into your work, um, and didn't allow yourself to sort of deal with those really tough emotions that you must have been going through when you lost your brother. Um, so you got through uni, you got through your course, and you graduated and you and that was when you met your now wife as well wasn't it Amber you were actually doing really well for yourself you know yeah yeah those those five years were were, were really good I mean um I, I had a decent well I thought of a decent group of friends and um I obviously met met, met, met my now wife Amber um got a degree and I was in a really good place like I've I thought I was unbreakable at the time. It was a really good place to be in. But that wasn't to be the case. And that was when you really, you started to have your um, mental health issues. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how they manifested themselves? Um, yeah, so the, um, it all kind of restarted where I started to hear things. Now, this wasn't kind of like a, um, a thought like what I'm having for tea or what am I doing later this was kind of as if you were just to turn to me right now and just shout abuse at me um kind of like the bullies did when I was in school um and this the, these voices were mm. relentless it was it, like I say it felt incredibly real and you know I, I felt um scared of myself so I couldn't tell anyone like I couldn't tell Amber um I couldn't tell my parents because I didn't really know what was going on um and then these voices kind of started to take control. So it was mm -hmm. like this autopilot kicked in and something else had control. 
Um, so I would then start breaking the house apart. I would start throwing things, smashing things up, um, kind of being told, you know, smash the window, kind of kick the door and all that kind of thing. Um, and from that, um, it kind of spiraled well out of control that um, I then start to see things. So while the house was being smashed up and all this was going on, um, I the only thing I really saw at one point was my brother Will, um, just kind of standing in every corner of the room. So of course I wanted to get them get out of the room, and then I'd smash more things up, and um, that's kind of where it all started really, and all kind of spiraled out of control. That must have been so incredibly frightening for you. I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to hear voices and then to sort of see your brother in the corner of the room. Well, what did you? I mean, obviously you reacted by more smashing up and that kind of thing, but what, I'm just trying to sort of get to what was going on in your mind, you know, what, what sort of, did you think, crikey, you know, I'm going mad, or did you think I should ask for help, or just bottle it up again, like, you know? Um, just, I kept bottling it up, really, because I thought this was just how I was wired up and how I was supposed to be. Um, I didn't really think there was anything wrong. Um, but really, when the only point where I really uh, had to get help was Amber was, because she was there through the entirety of it. She was amazing, absolutely incredible. Um, she she put up with a lot. Um, she pretty much was walking out. And, you know, I, I literally got on both my knees and I grabbed her by the hand and I, I begged for her to stay. Right. And being the incredible person she is, she said, yeah, I'll stay, but you've got to get some help. Okay. Um, so that was kind of me thinking, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. This is just the way I'm wired up. It's the way that I'm supposed to be. Um, so I went to the doctors the next day just so Amber would stay with me. And then, yeah, pretty much within a couple of minutes in, in the GP's office, um, they were just diagnosed as unfit for work. Unfit for work, and, and at that point, were they able to sort of put a finger on what was causing the voices and the, um, the visions for you? Um, well, not, not, not at first. They, they said that I had depression. I was diagnosed with depression. Mm. Um, and that I'll need to obviously see a psychiatrist and the community mental health team. Um, so that's really what I was given. I was just told that I was um, suffering with depression, really. Right, just depression, that's quite intense, isn't it? You know, yeah. okay. So, were you sent for some therapy to sort of work out, get to the root cause of what it was? Yeah, so it, obviously, it's, it's not any, it's not a dig on the NHS or anything because they do an amazing job with what they've got and the, the resources they've got. Um, mm -hmm. But it, obviously, because of that, uh, there's a long waiting list. Um, so, it took about three quarters of a year, nearly a year before I'd even see a, a professional really um, okay. to get any form of diagno uh, formal diagnosis. Okay and what did they do for you in the meantime? Were you given some medication to control what you were experiencing? Yes yeah, so I, um, I was put on um, antidepressants at the time yeah. um, and beta blockers for um, controlling my anxiety. Okay. Um, and I got given the details of the crisis team uh, in case I ever needed them. So they were called out um, fairly often when I was in psychosis. Um, I mean, the, the medication, it, it 
didn't really help at first. I mean, I didn't know that antidepressants take a long time to get into the system. Um, but I mean, that it, it wouldn't be for about another year or so where I'd be put on antipsychotics to help with that side of things. Okay, so it's about a year before they realised that these were sort of psychosis type um, episodes that you were having. Yeah. Okay, that's a long time for you to wait, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and again, and again it's, it's not a, like a like a second, like I say, a dig at the NHS. It's just, um, it's just the the way it is at the minute. It's just um, funded, and, you know what I mean? It's funded, and they're, I know they're doing amazing things with what they've got. So, um, unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. And Amber was there to to help you through all of this. So that was a massive. She was a massive rock for you during that time. Um, and as I understand it, I know, I know I've already said, you know, you do your mental health running, um, but as I understand it, am I right in thinking that you um, started, uh, you, you uh, confided in some friends and started a podcast with some friends that sort of helped you get through a little bit? That was one of your stepping stones. Yeah, so um, really I, I kind of, I trusted some friends and we, um, to begin with, when I spoke about mental health problems and well, a long story short, it turned out that they weren't the best people I thought they were or, or could be, um, which put a big road bump in my life, um, led to several suicide attempts, um, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, the, the, a big turning point was um, uh, basically went to a rethink session where, um, a charity rethink, where I met other people with the same diagnosis that I had. Okay. Um, and that kind of spurred a bit of moment of inspiration where Amber suggested um, about podcasting. So we, I got in touch with, a, with an old school friend. Um, his name's uh, Billy, who is still one of the most amazing people that I know. Um, the hound, he was one of the only friends I had in school and um, I don't have friends, but he was one of the main friends. You know, I mean, I had a very small collection of friends. Um, and yeah, he's such an amazing guy. And we kind of just talked and said, look, let's, let's do a podcast. I'm suggested let's give it a go. So we said, yeah, go on, let's, let's do it. Um, yeah, so we started something called Triple Mega Super Threat, which uh, was me, Billy, and his cousin, Alan. And it was amazing because it was just three guys sat in just a corner room of the house and would talk about anything. So I mean, we could talk about literally anything. So it'd be things like Brexit, uh, Marvel films, video games, um, things like that. It was incredible. Yeah, it was, it was just three guys talking and it was, it was really nice because it was like I had really close friends and we were doing things outside of um, other things. It was just, it was nice. Awesome. So that was a bit of a of a release for you. And in the um, the session that you had, the, to know that there were other people with similar diagnosis that had gone on to, I think you mentioned before um, about there were people that had run their own companies and that kind of thing. Um, just sort of gave you that boost. Yeah, because yeah, the, yeah, those people I met, they were um, they started off as apprentices for their own uh, the business they work at now, and. Yeah, they, they now own that business. 
and they travel the world and it's when I got the diagnosis of of uh, borderline personality disorder social anxiety disorder and PTSD I kind of thought well that's me I'm labeled I'm not gonna get better and it's not a death sentence but if I do ever want to change employer they'll go oh no he's got mental health issues we won't employ it and that, that kind of thing but then when I just got talking to these people and they said yeah well I own the business that I started out as an apprentice and you know I go around the world and with the same diagnosis it kind of made me think oh hang on a minute you know I can get better if, if these people have done it why can't I yeah definitely that's the thing isn't it because exactly, I think yeah, a lot yeah. of people have a um, uh, misunderstanding around mental health issues you know um, there are people that have got dodgy knees but they still manage to walk on them you know I know people yeah. that have lost their legs but they walk on prosthetics so with your mental health you can have a, a mental health diagnosis but still be well you know you can thrive with that diagnosis and then there can be people that have no diagnosis but their their mental health still goes up and down you know just like a healthy person can get a cold or a sickness bug your, your yeah. mental health is the same it's never just one way or the other um which is i think quite an important message actually uh, about mental health because i think people have this idea that once you've got a diagnosis you're ready for the scrap heap or something and that's just not that's it, yeah. at all is it yeah yeah so um tell me about the running because that was a big turning point for you as well yeah so uh i when me and amber first got together we did a run race um well it's a it's an obstacle course race um and amber suggested when i was starting to get a bit better so why don't you go for a run and I kind of at first, um, I, I laughed in the face, you know, I was a big guy, I was 23 and a half stone. Um, and I kind of thought, well, you know what, let's, let's do it. And so I signed up to the next uh, 10K I could find, which was the Rochdale 10K. Um, I've got family in Rochdale anyway, so kind of like a mixture of seeing family and also go for a run. So that, that yeah, I started running and that was kind of a simple activity, you know, put your headphones in, lace up your trainers, and then just go wherever the road takes you. And the uh, the, the race was amazing because, I mean, it wasn't pretty, you know, it <laughs> I really was a mess running around that course. Um, but, you know, it, it didn't really matter because it was just me trying to get my life back. And it, I kind of stumbled across how mental health is massively benefited with physical activity. Um, is a massive staple to my recovery um especially like losing the weight so within about seven months i'd lost um, mm. just under eight stone um, through running and it you know it, it really felt like i got my life back because i was my mentally i was in a really sound place and um physically i was in a really good place it just felt really amazing um and then that that kind of like passion became almost a, a healthy obsession um where last year i did the london marathon for the mental health foundation oh cool. um, the whole london marathon wow that's yeah amazing yeah, yeah. um so yeah but like i say it's that that journey of i literally put my trainers on when i was 23 and a half stone um i think it's about 150 kilos um to leading up to when i was at the london marathon and i was 16 stone something but i was just under I was just under 100 kilos, so I lost over 50 kilograms. Um, and yeah, it, it, 
yeah, it was amazing how I stumbled across this thing, which is, it's free, um, it's enjoyable, which is arguable when you start running. Um, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it's, it's incredible. And that's kind of like what I like to do now is try to help people see physical activity, not as like a burden as a way to lose weight, but as a way to, to, to look after yourself mentally as well. Oh. And am I right in thinking that you've set up a group for, for other people to come and run and, and talk without this sort of, so it's like therapy without having to sort of feel like it is, if that makes sense? Yeah, so the um, the, the kind of, the, the, the brainchild from it all stemmed from um, wanting to meet people with uh, mental health issues. Um, to help them get into exercise, but also in, in, a, in a safe environment to talk. Um, and I met with a local personal trainer called Mark Larwood, and he kind of had to sit down and coffee, and he said, well, have you heard of something called Run, Talk, Run? Um, I didn't know, I knew of it, but I didn't know much of it. So we talked about it and researched it. I got in touch with the person who cannot, well, yeah, kind of owns Run, Talk, Run. Um, and they have events all over the all over the world. You know, there's some in in Australia, some in America, um, quite a lot in the UK. There's one in Dubai, um, and I kind of said, look, I want to make a group up in in Lincoln. Is that okay? And um, Jess, who who owns it, she said, yeah, of course, that's absolutely fine, and got it set up. Um, See, so yeah, it feels amazing that I've now got people joining us for a run who are now looking forward to Tuesday nights. Um, because we can just run, talk, uh, well, run, talk and run. It is a running group, but its main focus is the mental health side. So it's, I like to think of it as it's the first step, the baby step of speaking to someone about mental health, of people who are happy to talk about their own issues if they, if they want to. Um, but to also help and start off that um, relationship with running, but also that first step into getting help they need. Awesome, yeah. I mean, you setting that up is, is brilliant for other people because sometimes we hear about these great ideas, but we always think, oh, someone else will sort that out. So you taking that step to um, to actually form a group in your local area is awesome. So well done yeah. And then tell me about the book because that you've, you've literally you've been so busy um, promoting your book, which literally launched on Valentine's Day, didn't it? So yes, tell me all yeah. about that. And, and you co-wrote it with your wife, Amber. Um, yeah, I've actually got a copy here if you want to. Yeah, I love the cover. I love the cover. Yeah, I'll publish it. She's got an amazing team behind her. So like I say, really, <laughs> you've got some amazing people behind her. Um, yeah, so the, the, the book is sort of like, um, it is my life story um, regarding mental health. Um, it starts off from a very early age up until, um, well, up until now, really. Um, now, I've always said I wanted to write a book. When I got better, I wanted to write a book um, to try and detail my experiences in another way to try and help people read the book and go, oh, Tom's going through that. Maybe I'm, I'm like that. Maybe I need to get some help. Um, but I've never seen my story as just my story because... Um, Unfortunately, and it's against no disrespect to anyone else, it's just the the carer's side of the story is not really well heard, um, because people kind of assume, oh, well, they're caring for that person, they they they're obviously coping with it, um, but it's not always necessarily the case. Um, so I wanted to make, I want to write a book where it included Amber because she's been through it all with me, 
Um, so the idea is that, like I said, it's my life story all in chapters. Um, and then when it gets to the point where I meet Amber and she gets introduced to the story, um, Amber does a chapter as well. So you get both sides of it. So the idea is that anyone could pick up the book um, and go, oh, okay, maybe I'm relaying um, to, to Tom. I have to get some help. Or someone could read Amber's side and go, oh, hang on a minute, I'm looking after someone. I'm looking like Amber's position. Maybe I have to get someone help. Um, but it's also, I think, it, I think it's amazing the way that... Um, that Amber's written it because it's like I say it's my account. It's it's just like my account as well. So it's a true account. Uh, on and it is literally everything. You know, no stone unturned. There's things even our family didn't really know about until before we got it released. Um, but it's 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 a tool. So it kind of shows you know all of the carers are coping in some respects and looking after that person. You know, they need support as well. Um, I, I, I personally feel that's a big thing for for the not the world to realize again it's not a dig it's just that that is the way that it's always been um that people who are in amber's position can also get the help and, and to see that what they may be facing or going through is perfectly normal and that may be what amber felt at the time um so it is basically both sides of the story um i couldn't ever write a book without Amber because like I said it's not just my story it's it's our story um quite frankly I, I I know for a fact I wouldn't still be here right now talking to you um if it wasn't for Amber um and yeah she yeah just a, an incredible person and her, her story really when I when I proofread it it really it most of the time brought me to tears because I never really realized her side because I was always the person who's being cared for I had to look after myself um, get myself better with support um, it kind of made me think wow okay I didn't know this is what Amber went through I didn't know this is what the carer side of the situation really felt like um, so that, in that respect it kind of fulfilled the the brief of what we wanted to do um, and yeah the, the the feedback we've had so far has been in in absolutely incredible um, it, it really has because it's they say it's just a story of two people going through probably one of the worst times hopefully they'll ever have in their life. Um, but yeah, people are really finding help in it. And it really feels incredible that people said, Leo, thanks for sharing, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. It felt really amazing, really incredible. Fantastic. That's so cool. And I imagine it was quite cathartic for both of you to, to do, go through that process and almost nice for Amber to be able to share her story in such a way as you can read it and appreciate her on a different level. I mean, obviously you always appreciated her, but yeah. like you say, reading her side um, and, and putting it into words in a very concise way just helps both of you understand each other even better, which is fab. And I'm sure it's going to help loads and loads of people. I mean, as you know, this this project, the Be Glad Movement project, is about sharing stories and helping people understand not only what other people have been through, but what they're going through as well. Um, so I can only sort of really thank you for being willing to share your story with us as well with the Be Glad Movement community. So thank you so much for that. Is, is there anything that you would um, say to, I mean, you've been through so much, is there anything you 
the different Toms in your life, you know, what advice would you give Tom that was being bullied and Tom that had just graduated and started feeling, you know, having all these awful emotions? And take me back. What would you tell little Tom? Um, so it'd be what I would say is um, that there, there, there's two mantras basically I live my life by now, really, and that is. Um, for every one in four people suffering with a mental health problem, there's always three others who can help save a life. Um, and that, that kind of like, you know, in itself details, you know, mental health's a thing. I didn't know mental health was a thing at the time. I, I was the kind of person to go, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing, didn't exist. And then obviously when I did go through it, obviously I knew it did exist. Um, but the, the biggest one for me is, um, if you go through one minute, one hour, one second, whatever time scale with a mental health problem, you know, you're no longer a sufferer, but you're what I like to call a thriver, that you have survived, you survive, and you're thriving, you're still here. Um, and that's kind of what I tell myself is that, you know, no matter how bad it gets, you know, people will listen. Um, maybe not everyone, but when you find that one person who will listen, it, you know, you will be looked after. And you need to look after yourself and, you know, things, things, although it looked really bad at the minute, they will get better. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Although it seems really bad at the moment, if you persevere, if you survive, things do get better eventually and talk to someone and, you know, it, and I know that you had an experience of, of trying to share with some friends that didn't really fully understand and, you know, and even turned against you at one point. So to, to, keep going keep sharing and find some people that can really support you and lift you up so important so Definitely. thank you tom thank you i really appreciate you sharing your story with us the pleasure thank you for having me what a lovely guy tom and amber have been through so much and i think it's really great that they're now taking the time to try and help other people with their mental health and fitness if you like this episode, then please do share it with anybody that you think might be able to benefit from listening to it. And please do join the conversation over on Instagram, Twitter or YouTube. If you search at Be Glad Movement, you should be able to find us. I'll look forward to seeing your comments there. I'm looking for more people to interview and open to suggestions, so please do reach out if there's anyone you'd really like me to get onto the show. It doesn't matter if it's someone with a similar story to that which has already been shared, as I truly do believe your story in your voice has the ability to help someone in their time of need. The Be Glad movement is free to listen to, but if you did want to help me raise money for the Samaritans, then head over to beglad.co.uk and follow the donation link. And while you're there, why not sign up to the newsletter? Don't worry, you won't be bombarded, but I will let you know about any events I'm organising or attending and anything else that I think you'll enjoy hearing about. With so much love, you've been listening to Pollyanna, Tom and the Be Glad movement. I look forward to catching you in another episode.